Roberts. I'm the arena announcer for the Utah Jazz. Time now to talk about the Utah Jazz and the NBA on the Salt Lake Tribune Jazz Podcast. How about this jazz? And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's meet Eric Walden, Andy Larson, and Joel Cardenas. Welcome back to the How About This Jazz Podcast. I'm Sean Cardenas, your co-host and moderator. Joining me, as always, is Salt Lake Tribune Jazz beat writers Andy Larson and Eric Walden. Guys, how you doing today? I'm really good. How are you? Doing pretty good. Better than the uh, than the Jazz have been lately, but, you know, we're, we're hanging in there. Andy, how are you? I'm fine. I'm good. I don't know. Yeah. Um... Did you guys hear that Staples Center is no longer going to be Staples Center, by the way? Yeah, let's talk about that. That's fun. <laughs> uh, the Lakers... It, you know, it's just a sad state of affairs to see the Lakers go down like this. You know, this was a once proud franchise that is now acting as a poverty franchise, really. I mean, the can't afford Alex Caruso, a key role player, is making them worse on the court. I mean, just, you know, penny pinching at every turn. Now, Staples Center, one of the most renowned brands and sports arenas in the world, is now the crypto.com place of basketball. Like, no, I think, like, <laughs> this is a just, it, it's just another in a long line of Lakers failures that, you know, it, it's just sad to see. And, you know, I, I, Wish my Laker fan friends the best, like Eric Walden over here. That it's, he's, <laughs> I know he's going through some tough times with uh, how bad the Lakers have been so far. But you know, I just I just want to let you know that I support you and uh, uh, in, in your support of such a again poverty ridden franchise as the Los Angeles Lakers. All right, so a few thoughts there, a few a few rejoinders. Poverty franchise, little, <laughs> poverty franchise, a little harsh, but um, this yes. is. We'll start this, a little fun. Me, this this is this is a family whose like income is derived from the team. Like they don't have any side ventures. They didn't earn billions based off of like you know being venture capitalists or whatever. Uh, literally, all their money comes from owning the Lakers. The rena- they don't own the stadium. Like AEG right. owns the stadium. Right. AEG decided, hey, we're going to go out and get the richest naming rights deal in the history of professional sports because why not? Um, it is hilarious because it's a stupid name. It's hilarious because like cryptocurrency might be a thing that like goes away within a year, right? Ooh. And so, um, getting the crypto bros mad at you. I don't care. Um, <laughs> we. I can have the crypto bros mad at me like the day trader bros are mad at you. You know, so so this whole big naming rights deal might go away within a year. Uh, beyond that, like, fans don't care. Like, regardless of how much signage they put up, fans are still going to call it the Staples Center. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we can have fun with, with all the potential nicknames. It's now the Crypt. It's now the CDC. Uh you know, whatever. No one cares. The Lakers are still going to be the Lakers, and uh, haters like yourself are still going to be jealous. You know, I'm never going back again. <laughs> I I have dreams of going my own way, and uh, just I I think you know right now, Staples Center is secondhand news. And he thinks he's so clever. He's got it. He's got. A list of uh, Fleetwood Mac rumor songs <laughs> pulled up in front of him. We were arguing before we started recording about uh, the merits of Christine McVie songs, and uh, I maintain that they are terrible. And yeah, now Andy's got a list of songs in front of him, and he, he thinks uh, he's funny. 
I do think I'm funny. And Fleetwood Mac's Rumors is the coolest album of all time. It is super dope. It is I the love, coolest album of all time. I love Rumors. Uh, just the, the Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks stuff is like a million billion. You're the math nerd. Think of the highest possible numerical uh, figure you can. That's how much better their stuff is than Christine McVie's stuff. Nah, whatever. It's all good. Want to just jump in quickly, getting back to the uh, original conversation, but that'll be safe for the uh, music podcast, I'm sure, at some point. Okay. Um, but I don't know how long it took you guys to, when the Delta Center changed its name from the Delta Center to Energy Solutions, how long did it take you guys to finally get it, like, just to kind of naturally say Energy Solutions for me? I think it probably took, like, four years. Yeah, probably. And, you know, I think, like, the abbreviation of ESA helped there, right? Like, that's kind of how I started to mentally and refer to it, and obviously in my writing as well. But yeah, there's definitely like a transition process there. Counterintuitively for me, it took me less time to go f- to transition from Delta Center to Energy Solutions than it did from Energy Solutions to Vivint Smart Home Arena. Like once they changed to Vivint, like I kept calling it ESA all the time. And hmm. it was like, oh, no, I'd have to I'd find that in like, you know, drafts of stories that I was writing. And I'm like, it's not ESA anymore. It's the Viv now, whatever. And I like Vivint. People. Uh, yeah. People adjust to it, you know. Um, yeah, I, I know. I know. Pe- I have family members who still call it the Delta Center. So, yeah, there are moments where I still refer to it as, a de- as the Delta Center. And I mean, Staples Center will stay always stay Staples Center, like, the home of the Grammys, quote unquote. Yeah, people people who are complaining about it, like what is the, what is this deep brand affiliation? This 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 deep love for you know Staples, like they're my favorite office supply company of all time. Take that, you office, know. Max. Um, it's it's all corporate ownership, so who cares? Like, you know, if if people want to go back and argue about the forum versus the Great Western Forum, all right, I'm down with I'm down with that argument because the forum was venerated and special. And then once you started adding, you know, corporate branding to everything, it's like, okay, yeah, you know, half these businesses go out of business before their naming rights deals are up, and uh, it, it's going to get changed anyway. So why bother getting too attached to one or the other? On today's episode, we're talking what's gone wrong with the Jazz's defense, Rudy Gay on his way, and of course, a preview of the upcoming games. But before we get started, let me remind you that if you want to keep up to date with the latest Jazz coverage, sign up for our newsletter at sltrip.com slash newsletters. Because Annie's newsletters are great. I don't write any of the newsletters. Oh, that's right. Yeah. My newsletters are great. So, guys, I think the main thing that we want to talk about with this episode is the Jazz and their recent struggles. Now, they did get the win against Philly on Tuesday night, but it's a depleted 76ers team, no Embiid. Obviously, we don't know what will happen with Simmons, but he hasn't played at all this season. So, yeah, it was impressive, but given the opponent you're facing, eh, that's just me. But overall, it's still four out of six games that have been losses for the Jazz. That game against the Heat... I mean, the scoreboard is deceiving. It was really bad. Yeah, the Jazz made the whatever it was, 22-5 or 22-6 comeback late, made it a little bit close. But, yeah, it it was definitely a bad performance. A lot of issues, it seems like, with transition defense, uh, letting the opponent get offensive rebounds has been an issue for the Jazz. This is, for the most part, a team that is still the same compared to the, the team from last year. But the defense has looked far from the team from last year. So, guys... Let's just get right into it. We know there's a problem. What are those problems, and how do they get resolved? Yeah, so a couple things. They are, right now, fourth in the league in 
half-court defense. So the half-court defense has been very good. The transition defense has been hot dog water. It has been uh, 26th in the league, so or 27th, excuse me, so fourth worst in the in the NBA. And then the other big defensive issue that's changed from last season is the defensive rebounding, where they're not able to close out possessions after they force a miss. Uh, and we saw that over and over again, especially against the Indiana Pacers and the Miami Heat. So to me, and when I watched the film, those are effort things. Those are guys not being focused and getting back. These are guys not communicating in transition. These are guys allowing every long rebound to go to the likes of TJ McConnell, the smallest player on the floor. These are guys not getting like hits and you know uh, boxing out or not locating their man when a shot goes up. It's not good. And so, you know, I think, again, and we've seen this happen with this team a gazillion times, slow starts at the beginning of the season because they aren't giving necessarily their 100% effort or kind of feel like they've kind of accomplished something already, right? Like that they, they for whatever reason, it, the, the focus wanes at the beginning of the season. And so do I feel confident in that they'll figure it out and go on a winning streak? Yeah, I kind of do. But... Are these real problems that they're facing right now? Yeah, I also think so. Yeah, it's in, it's infuriating, right? Because game after game, we hear these guys bring up the same things. You know, yeah, we need to get hits on guys so that we're not giving up so many offensive rebounds like they did against Indiana in that second game against Miami. We keep hearing them say, yeah, we need to do a, a way better job in transition because, you know, uh, we heard Quinn Snyder talking about, you know, taking shots and guys like not getting out of the corners you know, quick enough, uh, uh, the shooter's not getting out of the corners or whatever to, to get back. Uh, guys not stopping the point of attack quickly enough. And game after game, you hear guys acknowledge it. You know, like, they know what their issues are. And they're like, you know, we keep hearing Donovan Mitchell say, it's time to quit talking about it and actually do it. And then, um, you know, we see them, like, continually not do it. Uh, so, like, I understand why jazz fans are, are frustrated. Like, my Twitter mentions in, in those games are filled with people who just are going off about, I can take the team losing. I can't take them, like, not putting in any effort. And in some cases, I feel like, you know, maybe the criticism aren't warranted. In these cases, I feel like absolutely they are because these are absolutely fixable things. These are things that they know they're doing wrong, and yet they remain problems. Now, to Andy's point, do I think they're going to continue to remain season-long problems? No, probably not. You know, I think the rebounding will improve. I don't think they're this bad a rebounding team. I think the transition defense will improve just because that's been, like, consistent focus in the Quinn Snyder era. Um, and, again, these guys recognize these are the problems and that they need to fix them. And right now it's just not happening. Will it happen eventually? Yeah, probably. But in the meantime, like, you know, they're losing games that they shouldn't or or they're being non-competitive in games that they should you know like to your point Joel yeah like that that second Miami game like 111-105 is the final like the heat full on like did not care in that fourth quarter because they knew the game was out of hand and they knew that they had the victory sewn up and yeah okay the jazz get within four whatever they weren't winning that game yeah it's better against the sixers like we did see some signs of progress but again no Joel Embiid, no uh, no Ben Simmons, no Matisse Tybel, no uh, Danny Green. Like that Sixers team was just was bad. 
I mean, the fact that they had to rely as much on Andre Drummond as they did, like that spelled doom for them. So we'll see what they do against some of these other teams that are that are a little better equipped to face them going forward. One thing I, I want to get your thoughts on. So I was I did not go to the to the seventy sixer game. I, I watched the uh, TNT broadcast. Reggie Miller, who was doing the game, he brought up the fact that the Jazz are continuing to struggle when it comes to holding on to the basket and allowing then just the opponent to just get a, a quick transition, you know, bucket or even just a, a slam dunk. He had mentioned that he feels like the Jazz should hold on to the ball a little bit more instead of going quickly for a shot, whether it's an outside three or waiting for, you know, for Mitchell or Jordan Clarkson to get something qu- pretty quickly. What do you guys think of that commentary? So the Jazz, you know, do turn over the ball a decent amount. They are 18th in the league right now in, in turnovers, which, you know, means that they're a below average turnover team. The answer to getting fewer turnovers is not hold the ball for longer on to the shot clock. Like the the longer you use these possessions, the more turnovers you're going to have because you're just going to throw more passes. You're going to give the the defense more opportunities to to get those turnovers. Right? Like you're never going to give up a tor- turnover on a pull up three. The, the you know off of off of a pick and roll. You know because you're just not making any difficult plays. You're just shooting the ball. Um, likewise, we should also recognize that three-point shots actually have really low transition opportunities against because when you do shoot a pull-up three, you have time to get back. You know, you have time to you have time that you're shooting a shot above the arc, so you at least have that guy back. Um, everyone else kind of has the opportunity to get back. Whereas, the, uh, you know, when you're driving to the rim, there's usually the the roll man center and the guy attacking the rim close to your that hoop so they're less able to come back on transition defense if that makes sense so i disagree with reggie miller and kind of that analysis i think if you look at it the jazz's problem is not in allowing too many transition uh attempts off of those kind of opportunities but instead in kind of the efficiency or the the ability basically teams are scoring 128 points per 100 possessions in those transition opportunities so that's the problem is that those opportunities are too efficient, not that they're giving up a, a huge drastic amount of them. Yeah, where I would focus on there is something is, is along the lines of something that Rudy brought up after one of the games the other day where they just were once again terrible on the defensive boards. And, um, you know, he he brought up having a lot of these possessions where they go down and fire up an immediate three pointer, you know, within within the first few seconds of the clock. And these are shots they like. These are shots they want to take so long as they're good looks. But at the same time, when they're having these rebounding issues, you know, he makes the point that, like, they play defense for 20 seconds, uh, surrender an offensive rebound, play defense for another 15, 20 seconds. All, then all of a sudden, you know, next time down, they're going down and, and they're firing up the first shot they see. And the opponent is only having to play defense for three, four or five seconds. And then all of a sudden they're going back down and having to play defense for another 20 seconds. And that becomes not sustainable. Um, so they need to find a balance because obviously they're not going to stop taking transition threes. And to Andy's point, like they're not surrendering a ton of points off of those when they miss. But they do need to find a little bit better balance in terms of being a little more judicious with some of those threes that they take. Or if not that, like really shore up that rebounding. So that they're not surrendering so many defensive possessions because that's honestly where they're wearing down. You know, it, it, 
in allowing Indiana as many additional possessions as they got, like they just made it that much harder for themselves. Same thing with Miami early on, like, especially in the first quarter. I think Miami had like eight or nine offensive rebounds in that in, in that first quarter. So it just becomes shooting yourself in the foot at that point. And, and, and what happens is if you watch the film, guys essentially uh, attack – uh, they attack the paint on on these offensive rebounds, and so they're not uh, and, and kind of the the space outside of the paint, the the mid range area, if you will, is free for again those TJ McConnell, Kyle Lowry types to just run and go get it. So again, they need to be focused on like okay, where are the actual defensive rebounding threats coming from, or offensive rebounding threats coming from, getting a body on them and staying between them and the ball. All right, last question before I wrap up the segment and try to keep the answer short if possible. Kind of, kind of question this or ask this for fans. I know the Jazz defense will be on the way upward once I start seeing what rebound, better rebounding efforts, just better effort all in together. The stats will tell me. What do you guys think? I don't. I. I. I, I don't know. Like I, I, you can see bad defense when you see it. <laughs> I, like, I know that sounds dumb, but like. Uh, you really have to reduce the number of like layups that other teams are getting and straight line drives to the basket. And, you know, transition D is obviously the most important statistical thing. And you can track that on cleaning the glass. Uh, but like, it's not just, I, you know, I guess it's not just one thing, right? It is the rebounding. It is the transition defense. It is the straight line drives that I, I just mentioned. Yeah. That's a cop out answer. But, I know, but, but it's, but true. it's, it's true. Um, I want to see, I want to see these guards like actually full on commit to, putting bodies on guys and getting in those intermediate areas to secure some of those those rebounds that are too long for Rudy to grab in the paint. But, you know, um, yeah, once they start doing that, I think we'll see this start to turn around. All right, next topic. So a few days ago, Eric, you wrote an excellent feature on Rudy Gay, who's getting closer to making his first appearance this season for the Jazz. As most of you know, he had offseason heel surgery. Gay and Joe Ingles had started a good friendship, and as you noted in your piece, Eric, Rudy has already advanced on two-on-two play and regular team practice, and Quinn Snyder said it's up to the team's health performance staff to clear Gay to play. So Rudy Gay is coming to the rotation. Guys, can you break down for the listeners how he's going to fit into that rotation and system? How's Gay going to be used in the system, and what are his strengths and weaknesses, and how are those need to be adjusted in order for him to succeed with his new team that he's never played with? It's going to be really, really interesting. It is like, I'm very intrigued to see what happens. First of all, you know, Rudy Gay is fully practicing now, and yet everyone involved was very much putting the brakes on like an immediate uh, entrance into NBA play during games, right? So uh, we don't know when Rudy Gay is going to come back. But when he does come back, I'm looking to see how the lineups he plays and operates with him. And in particular, he's going to be a much uh, more significant scoring threat than Eric Paschal is, who I anticipate he's going to take a majority of Eric's minutes. But he's also not a ball mover. You know, he really hasn't been like a ball movement kind of guy in his career. He has been a uh, mid-range scorer kind of type, right? So how does he fit into Quinn Snyder's offense? Uh, Does he kind of fit into the Jazz's ethos? Uh, I think are going to be real questions. And, you know, we've seen that kind of go both ways, right? Like Hassan Whiteside, for example, we had some of the same questions about will Hassan Whiteside pass, quite frankly. And he has, to his credit. So 
does Rudy Gay take on that same, you know, ball movement mentality and move the ball around the perimeter and create plays for his teammates and all that kind of stuff? If he can, he really does make that second unit a lot more dangerous. If not, then it's, uh, you know, going to be a little bit of a my turn, your turn situation. And it still, you know, will be an offensively and defensively more dangerous lineup because I think he's skilled in both of those areas. I'm, I'm just kind of curious to see how the cohesion of those lineups go. And, you know, it's going to be a process, right? Like, I'm not going to judge it after one game necessarily, but I, I do think that that is kind of maybe one of the biggest questions for the Jazz remaining in the season is how does Rudy Gay integrate into these lineups? It's been interesting watching him over these last few days at Jazz practices kind of go through his post-practice routines with this with the assistant coaches like today it was it was interesting just watching him go through these drills because initially he's doing um some some catch and shoot threes and then he follows that up with some dribbling heavy uh off the bounce kind of mid-range jumpers to andy's point um you know he, he, he does a lot of stuff in the mid-range he was doing a lot of dribble heavy stuff so to andy's point like not necessarily known as like a great passer throughout his career. I think just taking a quick look at his at his career stats, the most he's ever averaged is two point nine assists per game in a season. Uh, per thirty six, three point six. I want to say maybe three point seven. Um, so not great passing numbers. But again, to Andy's point, same thing with Hassan Whiteside, and and he's fit in really well here. I do expect we'll see him take Eric Pascal's minutes. You know, we'll see Eric play here and there, but um, I think that Rudy will will take the majority of those. I do think probably we'll see him maybe be a little more of a catch-and-shoot guy maybe than what Andy is expecting just because he has made that a focus of his career over the last few years, and, and that's what they're asking him to do. And he was, like, very demonstrative the other day in saying, I, you know, we asked him, what do you bring to this team? And he's like, I've always been about what does the team need me to do and then try to do that and that's the reason why I'm still around playing in for a 16th year of NBA basketball how efficiently and effectively he'll do those and 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 how much he'll be fighting his instincts to do other things will be interesting um and in terms of how quickly he's back Quinn very much made the point it's not up to Rudy it's not up to me it's up to the health performance staff to clear him and decide he's good to go and Rudy like made the point my body feels good, my heel feels good, but my conditioning has a ways to go. I still think it'll be sooner rather than later, but again, not immediately. All right, let's take a look ahead and preview what's coming up on the schedule. So Jazz welcome rookie Scotty Barnes and the Toronto Raptors on Thursday. Then it's off to Sacramento for a Saturday night matchup against the Kings, the scene of the Joe Engels ejection crime, if you will. And, <laughs> and the Jazz are back uh, in action in Utah on Monday. When they take on John Morant, uh, who's out to a great start this season, and the Memphis Grizzlies. So I know which one I'm looking forward to match up. I'm looking forward to Monday, the same John Morant here, but that's just me. There's also the intriguement of the Sacramento and, and the way that they played hard, not just in that game at Sacramento a few weeks ago, but also when they were here in, in Utah. It got a, little, got a little spicy, especially in Sacramento. So guys, which matchup are you looking forward to, or is there a, an individual player matchup that you're interested in seeing? Yeah, you know, I think it's John Morant. Um, I am bored of playing the Grizzlies at this point. So, um, or sorry, I'm bored of playing the Kings at this point. Um, the Grizzlies, I haven't seen for months. Love watching the Grizzlies. What? Love watching my guy Desmond Bain just do incredible things. You guys know what Desmond Bain's doing this season. It's really bonkers, actually. Uh, he is scoring 
14.3 points per game, uh, is shooting 44% from the field, is just having a, a very good season. Um, it is sad that the Jazz couldn't get him. But anyway. Um, or rather that the Jazz didn't get him because they could That's right. They could have. Yeah. Uh, they did not. But anyway. Um, yeah. Like the Grizzlies, bored with the Kings. And uh, Toronto is interesting, actually, in a bunch of different ways because I, I like seeing new players. I like seeing good players like Scotty Barnes. Um, Rudy Gobert has a chance to get some blocks over our, our guy at Salt City Hoops, Dan Clayton, keeps track of all the different players Rudy Gobert has blocked over the course of his career. He has yet to block like OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, obviously Scotty Barnes, some the, the rookies coming in. So he has some chances to add to his list of, uh, I guess, his fatalities. That's not that strong. His <laughs> list of... A little of, combat action there? Yeah. Just a list of people who have gotten their shots... Completely erased by our man, Rudy Gobert. That was very excitable. Dan Roberts will be proud. Yeah. Uh, John Morant is awesome. I love watching John Morant play. And he's everything that like he was advertised to be. And he's also, you know, it, it feels like he's taking another leap on top of that. So he's fun to watch. I'm interested to see what Scotty Barnes does just because he's been better than what I thought. Just reading about him, I figured, okay, he's got a chance to be decent, but I wasn't necessarily expecting, you know, this from him immediately. So getting to see him in person will be fun. And um, even if the Kings are a little passe at this point, I got to admit, like, I enjoy watching Damian Mitchell play. Like, the Kings are going to be selling a ton of number 15 merch, and it's not going to be retro DeMarcus Cousins stuff. Like, this guy is just, like, he brings energy and attitude, and he's everything that uh, Marvin Bagley is not <laughs> that's a really good point actually that that's that's a really really good point um i i sacramento's culture is really interesting right like how do if you are sacramento and you haven't been to the playoffs since 2006 how do you get out of the culture of losing and uh people not caring and uh malfeasance and incompetence and all that and some of the ways you do it is get by getting players who just really care a lot, like Davion Mitchell does. Um, and Marvin Bagley is the opposite of that. So, yeah, like you just said, I, I, I think that's a very interesting point. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for, for that, Eric. Before I get into our buzzer beater segment, a friendly reminder that if you want access to all of our coverage, from the Jazz to our award-winning news reporting, subscribe to the Salt Lake Tribune at sltrib.com slash subscribe. Okay, so for today's buzzer beater, we're talking basketball movies. 25 years ago this week, Space Jam was released nationwide. For those of you of a certain age, mainly millennials, Space Jam likely brings back fond memories. I know it does for me as well. Yeah, it's a cheesy movie and Michael Jordan can't act to save his life, but it's a kid's film, so let it be. It's fun. I mean, Bill Murray was in it. It was. It had, obviously, Barkley and everything, and yeah, it's just, a, for me, still a good time. I still will sometimes... If it's odd and regular or whatever, TNT or whatever, I'll still sit and watch just a little bit of it just because, you know, it brings back a lot of nostalgia. And that soundtrack, the soundtrack is is legendary. I mean, you have Fly Like an Eagle from Seal. I believe I can fly from a certain artist <laughs> that, that, that might or may not have gotten canceled. Probably. Is, is there any Fleetwood Mac on there? <laughs> should be. <laughs> there, there, there probably should be. Uh, For You, I Will by Monica. I mean, you had welcome the Quad City DJs, Welcome to the Space Jam. I mean, and then my favorite, which is the Monstars anthem, the Hit 'Em High, Method mm. Man, and all yep. of them. Like, one of the greatest movie soundtracks of all time. So, Space Jam, one of the greatest basketball theme movies of all time. 
So, guys, what's your favorite basketball-themed movie of all time? Or you could answer, what's your favorite scene in a basketball-themed movie? Or what's your favorite character, like a Jackie Moon from Semi-Pro? Flubber. Excuse me? Oh <laughs> really? <laughs> the Robin Williams? Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm willing to like stick to this take as like uh, you something have to I actually believe. I'm so embarrassed But I'm, right I'm just going to go ahead and go say Flubber. It. You know what? Hoosiers is a bad movie. It's not a good movie, folks. Ooh. Uh, that's a highly, highly overrated wow, film. You need to tweet that out, too. I, I mean, fire. I could, but it's fine. Uh, Flubber, underrated film. My God! <laughs> How the the science of uh, that that Robin Williams creates to create flubber and make people jump high and dunk tall and I just I think it's great. Wow, flubber flubber is the best basketball flubber movie of all over time. Hoosiers. <laughs> <laughs> yep, sounds good. Flubber. Um, my I've seen the movie Flubber. My my distinct memory of it. I went <laughs> I went to see it with an old high school friend and her. Uh, I don't think they were. They definitely weren't married yet. They were dating, and um, he was like incensed about this movie because it was practically pornographic because it featured a scene of a modeling class at a university, right? Like an like an art class in which a woman's bare back was visible mm. and oh my goodness how could disney maybe that's why i liked it when i was a kid i don't know yeah probably <laughs> uh flubber's a horrific movie um it i think be, i did it watch it be, recently and i don't think it was very it good, should be but. it should be scraped from it absolutely was my favorite existence. when i was a kid um that said um hoosiers not great i do no, agree with you there film. my favorite my favorite basketball movies are probably pretty stereotypical. Like I love the I love the Denzel Washington Ray Allen scene and he got game where Denzel like yeah. unintentionally scored on him. Like that wasn't in the script, but he like scored on Ray Allen like twice. And uh I love that. Just like the intensity of that scene was great. Um White Men Can't Jump oh, yeah. is a classic. Classic. Um here's kind of an unconventional choice. This isn't a basketball movie at all, but uh the scene in airplane where yeah. Roger Murdoch is discovered to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I think that's and, the best basketball movie of all time. And and the kid drags him because, like, my dad says, you don't even try on defense. And, like, Kareem's retort about dragging Lanier and Walton up the court for 48 minutes. Like, it's 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 amazing. Yeah. And Kareem showing off his comic chops. So, uh, Zach Harper and I used to do this game where any movie that involves any object is... Uh, so is that kind of movie. So, for example, we would name train movies, right? And any movie where a train is, like, even sort of mentioned is a train movie. So, like, uh, Harry Potter. The first Harry Potter is a train movie because there's, you know, the Hogwarts Express. Every, every Harry Potter movie is a train movie. Therefore, yeah, every Harry Potter movie is a train movie. Airplane is a basketball movie, and therefore it is the best basketball movie of all time. All right, we're in agreement in that yep. case. All right, Airplane is the best basketball movie of all time, Joel. Write okay. it down. Okay. Number two, Flubber. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, write me, that one in pencil and then erase uh, it. I, I think uh, I'll, I'll say this too. Um, I think Semi Pro is very, very uneven, but it has some phenomenal moments. It actually, like, uh, I, I think the the alley oop scene in Semi Pro is is incredible. Is is some excellent writing. Uh, like I said, there's up and down, but there are like three just killer jokes in that movie that make it work. In it. Yeah. Whereas like Airplane has. 89 million killer jokes and is just literally the funniest movie of all time. Yeah. 
Um, and I'm not going to make any commentary on uh, Space Jam because to this day, I've Space Jam ne- also. I've, a bad I've never seen it. Oh, you haven't seen it? Oh I've never goodness. seen it. Oh I mean, oh wow. In my defense, in my defense, Joel like previewed it by saying people of a certain age. Like, I was not of that certain age. Like, by the time Space Jam came out, I was already like 19 or 20, and like did not care at all about the cartoon characters. And like, if I wanted to see like these basketball guys involved, like I would just watch NBA on NBC games. You know, how old are you? I'm 44 right now. Uh, do you consider yourself a millennial? Uh, no. What do you I, consider I, yourself? I think I'm Gen X. Okay. Yeah, probably Gen X. Yeah. So I think I was just a little too old to to care about Space Jam when it came out. Okay. So yeah. that's all. Like the- for people who have you know that nostalgia for it, I get it. Like I've got nostalgia for a lot of old stuff. Like I periodically like rewatch you know Game Six in the 1987 NBA Finals, even though like that was not like the best era of basketball, but it yeah. has you know, you get sentimental nostalgia. meaning to me. Yeah. yeah. So I get it. Even though like just from what I've seen of it, it doesn't look very good. Whereas I was, you know, a, a twinkle in my, my parents' eye at that point. I think you still are, Andy. Wow. You're a twinkle in so Aww. many people's eyes right now. That was really heartwarming. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, for me, as far as some of my favorite ones, like I think of one that probably people don't really remember, Above the Rim. That was more of like hip hop. Yeah, they had like that Tupac and Marlon Wayans and all People that. Definitely like, remember that. Okay, that one was one of my favorite ones. This basketball one. What about Coach Carter? Yeah, medium film. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think well written and maybe the most, uh, one of the most, I guess, like accurate basketball movies in some ways. But yeah, um, also like predictable. There's a lot of bad basketball. I don't. Movies I don't too. love those movies that like make it a point to like try to intentionally tug your heartstrings like the feel goods you know like it Flubber just, never does that it doesn't do it for me so <laughs> Flubber I, absolutely does i that. just decided to search up like basketball movies quickly like i think my one i've never is seen this movie on called, the list? uh it is not but john tucker must die is on here and i have not seen is, movie. is airplane on the list it is not you know what's also on the list here this is uh, a terrible list that kevin durant thunderstruck movie oh yeah oh my Lord. that might be the worst out of all of them that or uncle drew uncle drew happened it did happen based off of those Pepsi commercials. Yeah. Then there was a Ben Affleck movie called The Way Back. I yeah, remember. I remember that. I don't I don't know that one at all. I haven't seen it, but I remember the commercials for it. But, uh, what about Teen Wolf? Teen Wolf, definitely a basketball film. High School Musical, also a basketball film. You know, I've actually never seen any of the High School Musical <laughs> movies at all. Takes There's a basketball court involved, therefore a basketball film. <laughs> what about... Uh, Britney Spears, Oops, I Did It Again, music video, basketball film. Love and Basketball? You guys see that one? No. I've that, seen so few movies. Um, like Mike? What about Like Mike? Like Mike. Little Bow Wow? Seen, yep. <laughs> like Mike was good. Ooh, Like Mike. Bang. Oh, Air says, Bud. says the person who loves the movie Flubber. What about Air Bud? Air Bud, no. yeah. And the 17 Air Bud, sequels obviously. that come out. Air Bud, great. Might be number one. I want to see Air Bud versus Teen Wolf. Who is the best hairy basketball player? The answer is Kevin McHale. No, there's a lot of documentaries, but yeah, I think we all like we mentioned he got game, Coach Carter. We mentioned all of them, yeah. So I think we're all agreement. So number one, airplane. Mm-hmm. Two, flubber. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and three, uh, let's go semi pro. How about that? That's list. such a bad list. <laughs> <laughs> let's just let's just keep it at number that one. Is our, okay, we're good. sticking. We're sticking with it. 
If you guys can think of any other basketball movies that are not basketball movies, please tweet us. Because it's one of my favorite games is just coming up with object movies. Now I'm trying to think, like, or have I seen, like, a basketball scene somewhere and we could call it a basketball movie? Damn, I don't know. I'll have to think about it. Yeah, think about it. It's a good game. Oh, what about, uh, what's the Celtic Pride? Uh, Oh, yeah. The Jazz win the championship in that movie. Yeah, too unrealistic. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to rewatch that movie now. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you you don't have any problem with the kidnapping plot. No, (laughs) it's the the jazz winning part. Shout out to David Waynes. Just totally crushes my willing suspension of disbelief. (laughs) Ouch. There's uh Andy's trying to come up with more and Joel's like, let's just wrap this <laughs> <her> up. <laughs> There's a lot of bad basketball movies. I'm just looking at this like all of this, and I'm just like, a lot of these are just not good. Like, why can't we make good basketball movies? Is that too much to ask of Hollywood? Yeah. Yeah. Who uh, now are at the crypto arena or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> oh, uh the step up films feature a basketball court, or one of them does? Uh, what about American Beauty is, oh no, they're playing volleyball, but it it probably happens on a high school basketball court gym. (laughs) What about Church Ball? Is there, is that a movie? movie. That's a movie. That's a, and I know it's because of working at KSL because it would make a lot of lists. That's an LDS themed, uh, Church Ball, absolutely a basketball movie. I, uh, fouled out of a Church Ball game once. Have you guys, so you fouled out of a game once. Eric, have you ever fouled out of a game? He's quit a game. Oh, wow. <laughs> Doesn't need to make any fouls in order to give up We're on bringing his team. up that wound already. <laughs> Andy Larson's about to get a flagrant foul. <laughs> flagrant two. <laughs> I can we're, feel about, the we're, here. we're about to go uh, Kevin McHale versus Kurt Rambis, 1984 NBA Finals. Ooh, that's going to change the series, too. Gonna, yeah, we're gonna swing all the momentum. Uncut Gems, the basketball movie. <laughs> Can we go now? It is. <laughs> <laughs> can we go now? That, well, you can make the argument. You it can. Is. I mean, the Celtics win at the end, like, and you, other stuff happens at the end. But Joel, just just <laughs> talk over him. Like provide provide the closing. <laughs> Guys, thank you once again. <laughs> and uh, usually, I say about like you know, if you've listened to the podcast, you know, please subscribe. But you have you subscribe, so thank you once again. You've subscribed. I already know that. Tell your friends. We do this every week. We have a lot of fun, etc. You know it. You guys are wonderful. I'm at Short Cardinals on social media. I'm at Andy B. Larson. The B stands for basketball movies. <laughs> like Flubber. And I am at Trib Jazz. <laughs> See you guys next time.